Welcome to the Ivy Podcast. We're just two aunties sharing our experience through the lens of one Blackfoot woman and one Anishinaabe woman. And we are Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit based in Montana and Arizona. We are 100% Indigenous led, and this is our podcast. Check us out at indigenousvision.org to learn more about our work, make a donation, or play back any of our radio shows and this episode. Hello and welcome to the Indigenous Vision Podcast. This is officially episode 86. We are so glad to be back. My name is Melissa. I am here in Las Vegas, Clark County, Southern Paiute land. And I'm here with our executive director, Suta Callinglast. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm actually feeling like an ED today. Right 15 minutes before we got on the call, I'm like, I'm going to throw a jacket on for Melissa because <laughs> I was doing some yoga for my thyroid health and I'll get more into that later, but yeah, I'm doing good today. Um, yesterday we sent out our first round of emails because the planning crew that usually plans the Missoula national uh, missing murdered indigenous women's day of awareness event. Ooh, that's a mouthful. She's a student. And so she's swamped. And then the other one is in the middle of her CPA exam. And so, yeah, I, I figured we're a month out. And so we better get an email out to all the community and everybody who's been involved in making this really cool event happen over the, the past few years. It's going to be a cool one. And Indigenous Vision is going to be in three states and three cities this year, which is kind of awesome. I'm so proud of us. It's super awesome. I'm officially not going to Missoula this year. I'm actually going to stay here in Las Vegas. And I've been reaching out to the Las Vegas Indian Center, who, along with a couple of other amazing groups here that involve the University of Las Vegas and a couple of local artists, they all come together to put together their MMIW event on May 5th as well. I didn't get to go last year, obviously, because I was in Missoula. But this year, I'm actually going to make an appearance. And I've already reached out to them in hopes of being able to contribute what IV has in store for the event this year, which is really exciting in my opinion. We have like a, a very special self-defense kit that we're putting together, something physical that people can use, um, especially, you know, obviously Indigenous women, but Indigenous people in general can sign up for our newsletter at our location and then get a free self-defense kit that they can use as like a keychain that will have pretty much anything you might find useful. If you end up somewhere alone, somewhere that you need help, I think these self-defense kits will come in super handy. And it goes to show that there's people looking out for you, people who care, people who are loving you enough to like go this extra effort and try and get people to look out for themselves and defend themselves, especially when you're in like a remote area. A lot of us like to go hiking by ourselves. I'm a solo camper. Like I would love to just have a one, one done spot to have all of my quote unquote self-defense tools that I can just use. The one done spot. That's a big deal because remember I told you last night, I heard a bang in my house and I quickly did an inventory about where all my self-defense weapons were, you know, and it's not without basis. We had a, uh, when I first moved to Missoula, a man broke, tried to break into the house, um, who was on some kind of like psychotic episode, um, uh, which I think was like meth or something along that lines. I don't know. I would even, I would even say that meth users are a little bit more sane. This guy was an animal. <laughs> so yeah. I remember you telling me the story and it sounded extremely scary. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, our apartment building was, was kind of like, well, did you know him? And it turns out he was a prior resident of that apartment building and maybe knew a friend or something that lived in my unit. Who knows? But, you know, people, you know, there's home intruders. We are out alone by ourselves and compared to a, a, like an inventory of like by the door under the bed, there's so many other places I will never tell. <laughs> um, it's kind of security to know that it's just on one keychain. And so uh, we're giving these out. We're, these are available for people who are in danger or at risk. Uh, of course, if you have like seven children bouncing around your vehicle and these keys are out with the bottle of mace in it, this is not recommended for that scenario. Uh, this is uh, more for the solo female who finds herself in a lot of independent situations. I think with me and my son, it's fine. My son is aware of what bear spray is and of what it can do. He's seen videos and, and trainings, and we've worked together on how to unclip the, the bear mace and, and aim it and chuck the wind. So he's had a little bit of my training that I've passed down to him. But yeah, these are weapons, self-defense weapons, uh, to be clear. And they're absolute necessity because <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. I was trying to think back to the first time. I was ever told to, to defend myself. And I think it was uh, when I was 15 or 16 and I had my slug bug or my Honda prelude and it was my grandpa or my mom who showed me how to hold my keys in my knuckles um, while I was walking out to my vehicle, uh, like after practice or after, after school, you know, I always I always worried, like, what if I can't get the key in between each knuckle, like it just in time. But that was a long time ago. That was an instruction to me for my safety as a 15 year old uh, young lady. So we're giving these self-defense kits out in lieu of, and we will still have some spots available for the self-defense sponsorships. We just didn't get that many forms as I expected. I'm really surprised at that because uh, we're offering $100, $150, depending on the gym you go to, because a lot of gyms offer up to two weeks free self-defense training, and then we'll carry on. I recommend and research recommends at least six weeks of training to familiarize your body with how you'll need to move. And, and that's enough time for your body to make muscle memory. So when you're in a state of crisis, your body takes over and knows what to do, whereas your mind might freeze. We want to get women into self-defense gyms and programs, um, whether that's like Krav Maga or judo self-defense or uh, some sort of martial arts-based self-defense or boxing, you took boxing, to the gyms to learn these things because it really does matter when you find yourself. I mean, I think that's that's the best we can do as women. You know, we, we're doing first aid, wilderness, search and rescue training, uh, and self-defense training. And all of the training is so that when you're in a time of crisis, you don't panic, freeze, you know, you don't have that humanly response of fight, flight, or run. Totally. I loved my boxing training. It came in so handy. I feel like I can really knock somebody out even a year after. It's been over a year since I took the training. But I'm really um, surprised too that not a whole lot of people have signed up for training. So maybe if we put the self-defense kits out there and kind of explain, hey, we can add your you know, email to our list and then we'll send out some emails. And if you know anybody who might be interested in a self-defense class, because 
we also just went through a pandemic. And just before that, we were having wonderful self-defense classes out in Phoenix, Arizona. They were outside. They were beautiful to see all the women coming together of all ages, learning all the moves. And then the pandemic happened and we couldn't get together and gather anymore. So maybe I'm I'm feeling kind of hopeful that maybe I could organize at least one here in Vegas with the Las Vegas Indian Center. If they choose to work with me, I still am waiting for a response, but it would be really cool because they have like a center. They have like a yard. They I've already been to one of their events and it's totally doable. And the people are always really cool. And it would just be nice to get together with people and learn some moves or share some of their experiences or learn what's worked for them in the past because you know there's a lot of us who have already experienced like violence and there's a lot of things we can do to to help each other yeah and we um when we were doing in-person self-defense trainings i was the facilitator (laughs) that's my job uh but we would hire a black belt or some higher level belt or a police officer with combat training who teaches this to other officers. We have a facilitator's guide. All of the instructors I've spoken to at gyms across the country in Arizona and in Montana are just overwhelmingly in support of providing all Native women self-defense. And so they've already got these free week or two programs in place, but all of them have also offered to work for free, the community event, and which is just amazing. So it's a 90 minute event. We have a facilitator's guide that introduces the need and some of the science I found on self-defense and, and how it contributes to a girl's safety, quoting some studies over in Indiana. Yeah, we've got the facilitator's guide if you need it. And then we reimburse the trainer for their time because Indigenous Vision is a huge advocate of getting paid for the expertise that you put your time, sweat, and effort into. And so we we honor all of the work that these people have put into their bodies and their training and, and their knowledge base of how to protect yourself and how to use your body to squirm out of situations where you're otherwise locked down. And then, um, you know, everything is at your own risk, but <laughs> so is being an Indigenous woman. Um it's, it's a, I think it's a much higher risk, uh, not having any training and not like in situational awareness and self-defense or having, uh, training on how to utilize your tools and whether that's a can of mace or a gun, if you don't know how to use it and you don't regularly use it, because I've, you know, I've heard people say you can go to a shooting range every Wednesday and Friday for a year and still not have the training you need to use your gun in an emergency situation. Training matters and it helps your body in these times of emergency. I would definitely need a lot of training with a gun because I'm scared of it. It would take a long time for me to warm up and and have it be something like the kubaton that I have or like the knuckles that I have or even the mace because I probably fumble a bit with my nerves and and be like, oh my gosh, can I really do this? It's important to know how you would react and like think back to the time, uh, sorry, trigger alert. Think back to the time when you were attacked. Did you freeze, fight, or flight? And so after my training, well, before my training, a dog lunged at me and my adrenaline reaction was flight. And I had like this inhumanly strength to lift myself up into a lifted truck using one arm. My friend Garp is a witness. (laughs) Whoa. That's my nephew, Jacoby's dad now. Um, 
but he was sitting in the back of the truck when we were kids and this dog almost attacked me. And so in that crisis situation, my flight response was like extreme strength, you know? And then when I was at the res party and I found myself in the middle of this fight and then all of a sudden get her, get her was me after training, I squared up (laughs) and I didn't, I didn't think about running away. I didn't think about crumpling in and just protecting myself, which, which feels like it would be my first reaction to being attacked. I thought about my feet, my knees, my hips, and I put my arms up and I was like, oh my God. And then I had time, time slowed down because of this training. And I had time to square up again and get my balance again. I had time to think about my balance three times while this lady was running to me in slow motion. That's training. And it's so beautiful to be able to protect yourself in the millisecond level like that. For sure. It really does come in handy. And like, we, I size up situations all the time. Whenever I even get like the slightest inclination in my intuition that something might happen, I like go into like situational hyper mode. I'm just like, okay, I size everything up and I make a plan in like a second, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I don't know if other people have to do that, but I am capable of doing that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. So what are you doing for listeners? What are you doing for the May 5th national missing murdered indigenous women's day of awareness in your state city? What would you recommend to people who especially are not indigenous? This is a question that I see a lot and people just quietly observe it as non-indigenous people are just like, Oh, that's really tragic. Oh, what can I really do though? Yeah. Well, and then also there's the resistance too of like, well, shouldn't we be protecting all women? And uh, you, you mean all women and no, no, we don't mean all women. We mean indigenous women and girls, because what the statistics tell us is that indigenous women and girls are disproportionately exposed to all levels of violence from intimate partner violence to institutional violence and community violence to uh, just, you know, walking out in the grocery store. And so Our levels of violence are exorbitantly high as our encounters with violence. And so I would recommend that people go to the Urban Indian Health Institute, I think it's .org, and they have the first uh, missing murdered Indigenous women report that came out. What year was that? Is that in 2017 or 18 that that came out? For the U.S., I'm not sure. Yeah, on the U.S. side, organization based out of uh, Seattle, Washington, I believe, Native-led. It's a great report to start looking into the stats and seeing how state by state and city by city these things are happening. And they're also happening in route, like massive uh, service and goods routes. So like on the semi-truck route. And <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I've said it before in earlier episodes, I had a bounty hunter that worked in the office behind me. Um, over at our Biltmore office in Phoenix and we have glass walls. And so he was looking at the map I was making and I must've been humming and hawing over this map for a while, but he, he came over and he said, can I interrupt you? And he looked at, he said, the, the image you're working on, I'm a bounty hunter in my last life. And if I was looking for a person I would look on the opposite side of the circle because they don't want to draw attention to the center of this trade ring. 
here where all of the girls are being exchanged. And so uh, like the drug trade, he said that the, and the sex trade, he said that this uh, trafficking or abduction uh, ring might, uh, if so, if they steal a girl from like Lakota nations, they will bring her down to like Southern California, LA area. That's like directly across the circle, right? Or if you're stealing a girl from like Texas, Cherokee territory, they're going to bring her up over to Seattle, but they keep these exchange points, which is Salt Lake and Denver, which surprisingly have very few missing indigenous women and girls. And so he identified those as like exchange points is what he called them. And Mm. so um, those are points where they don't want to draw attention to. So they're not going to abduct a lot of people or take a lot of people from those areas. Wow. I feel like this is scary information to, to divulge in, um, but it, it was information from like a, a man who hunted people for a living. That is definitely creepy. And in a weird, twisted way, it does make sense. Yeah. That totally. it's all connected to human trafficking and the drug trade, and undercover people already investigating this and a bunch of people knowing a bunch of stuff, but not saying anything is what creeps me out the most. Yeah. And that I mean, I'm pretty sure on the highway of tears up in BC, there's still semis driving that say, save a deer and hit us. But I definitely will be posting the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls report for the US. I think it was 2018. I have it open right now, just to make it super easy for people to learn about this in the show notes for this episode, so that you can continue to educate yourself and know what's going on with our communities and how we have to live. And every May 5th, we take this time to do what we possibly can to contribute and kind of help each other out. That's how I see it. I try to be there for whomever is around. Like I said, when I was back in Winnipeg for years and years, I would emcee the event, which was called No Stone Unturned. And it usually happened in the summer due to our weather situation, but it would be a place where the families could just come and just be around other families and just be around people who cared and were acknowledging of the fact that they're missing someone right now and that they're going through this. We would have a feast. We would have singers to try and lift up the mood. We would pray. And then we'd end off with this beautiful vigil once the sun went down. And it was just a really great way to gather and acknowledge and just show each other that we care and love and support each other, which is what May 5th really is about. May 5th, if you're in the city, Google where you know, your Indian center is take some time and research. Everything is at your fingertips. It's all about you to make the move and the action. Absolutely. And so Arizona is having May 5th missing the the day at the Capitol. The whole Capitol is red that day. It's really awesome. Faye will be there handing out our self-defense kits. Melissa will be out in Nevada. I will be here in Missoula, Montana, and we are going to be on the University of Montana Oval. And we are still in need of many volunteers. And so I originally got involved by wanting to see the M red on the day. And so as an organization, I used our organizational money to buy a bunch of solar lights. They're the kind that you stake in your garden. I originally bought, I think 20, which wasn't enough and hiked them up to the M. So this year we're needing at least six volunteers to meet me at the University of Montana M trail parking lot at one o'clock and um, to bring their own backpacks to pack these lights up. I think that first year I had help from these Northern Cheyenne guys and uh, one guy from Crow 
um, who were just here firefighting in town and just saw me like walking up the mountain in my moccasins. <laughs> so that was super awesome to have their help. Thank you. But then um, we also need speakers. So if you're, if you have a family member who it has gone missing or was murdered and has not received justice and you can talk about it, you know, we're not, uh, I don't want to ask anybody to talk about anything hard that they're not ready to talk about. But if you need a platform, there is going to be a stage and a microphone in, in 10 minutes to talk about the story, uh, the person, um, how they went missing or, or if they were ever found and what resources more like what resources would have made that easier for you as the family member. <laughs> I know like even, even being in my role at this level in uh, MMIW work, I don't know if I know who to call Melissa. Like if somebody calls me and say, says somebody is, is in a violent situation right now and they need to get out ASAP. I don't know who to call. My first call would be to the local shelter, which I feel like, and I, I assume is always full. And so I'm trying to like tongue in cheek, get all of the participating community and state organizations to do a demonstration with me. Um, you know how I like that live education, <laughs> um, but I want to be the victim pretend probably similar to some situation in my previous life, but it, you know, this is for women and myself and maybe other people who don't know who to call. And so I want to do, I want to try to do a demonstration. If not, um, the partner organizations do have um, a time on the mic to tell what services they offer and how they can help um, women in prevention and uh, in our times of crisis. Thanks for checking out the Indigenous Vision podcast. We truly appreciate your time and support. And like you heard in this episode, we are looking for volunteers in the Missoula, Montana area for the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. That is May 5th. In fact, the entire week is a week of action. So if you happen to be in the Missoula, Montana area, please get in touch with Indigenous Vision by emailing sutacl at indigenousvision.org. If you have some time to spare and help us light the M red, if you are a family or impacted directly by the missing and murdered Indigenous people crisis, we would love to hear from you. And if you're not in any of the cities where Indigenous Vision will be this year, you can definitely look in your city and do some research to find out how you can be a part of an event. Go beyond sharing and condolences this year and get out in the community and support the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls crisis. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram for more information. Indigenous Vision Media is where you'll find us. And if you want to make a donation and contribute to our MMIW efforts, donate at our website, indigenousvision.org.